Episode 95, Susie Carter, serial entrepreneur and author of the book, Power Your Profits. Made millions, lost millions, made millions again. Oh, what did I learn? I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links and show notes, for more information about Susie, her coaching, her book, and more, go to markraven.com slash mistake95. As always, thanks for listening. Our guest today is Susie Carter. She is a profit coach and a founder at her company, SC Consulting. And it's not just this company. She has 25 years of experience as a serial entrepreneur, as some would say. She has built seven multi-million dollar companies. She sold two that she built to $10 million. So Susie knows what she's talking about when she's written her book, Power Your Profits, How to Take Your Business from $10,000 to $10 million. So Susie, thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I'm fabulous. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for being a leader in our industry. We need more people like you sharing the message and bringing people like me So we can see that they're not alone, right? Entrepreneurship can be so lonely. (laughs) And and, and people, yeah, it's hard for somebody who's not an entrepreneur to understand. I mean, I even, makes me think twice that phrase, serial entrepreneur. We we hear people described, the only, like, serial killer is the only (laughs) other time that prefix gets used, I think. That's not nice. Well, the reality is I know I, I don't like, no one can be the boss of me. Ask my man. He will tell you. No one is the boss of me. <laughs> so I realized early on, I think I need to do this entrepreneurship because I love creation. I love building. I love, you know, creating teams. You know, it's just how you determine to play, right? So that's my, I, I love doing it. Once it gets past that 10 million, then it's too corporate for me. And then I want to pass it off to somebody else. That's not fun for me. Um, I love the startup mode and the, you know, from starting your business to growing it to a multi-million dollar entity. Being an entrepreneur, my life is completely unrecognizable. I don't think a J-O-B could have provided me the lifestyle that I've had. I've traveled all over the world. I've had all the things, right? The dream homes, the vacations, the, you know, sent my kids to the nicest schools in the country. So very, very well. It's done me very well in my life. When you talk about um, there's a sign over your head that people listening to the podcast won't see, but it's a sign my wife has, I think that exact same sign. It says, well-behaved women seldom make history. (laughs) So as you alluded to, did you say uncontrollable? I I was trying to remember the exact word you used, but what, 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 you know, before we talk about mistakes and things like what, what was that dynamic that got you into entrepreneurship in the first place? Was it having a first job? where you said, okay, no, I I need to do my own thing? No, actually, I found myself uh, early on divorced with two little girls, no child support, no alimony. Dude, my picker was off. (laughs) Mm. And so I had to figure out how am I going to make money? I was a hairdresser at that time. And as most entrepreneurs, 15% of your financial success is based on your technical ability. 
The other 85% is your sales, your marketing, your operations, and your finance. So I was amazing at my 15%. I wasn't making much money back then. The average hairdresser makes 30 grand a year. I live in Southern California. You're not paying, you're not living on 30 grand a year. So I had to figure it out quickly and figure out how to market and how to sell and how to leverage it. So it really came from a need. I find a lot of entrepreneurs have too many back doors. And what I mean by that is either they have a husband or they have, you know, parents, somebody that's kind of giving them that scapegoat that they don't have to earn money. I didn't have a choice. I'm like, I got to figure this out. My family wasn't supporting me. They're like, you made your bed, you lie in it, girl. I'm like, okay, that's tough love. (laughs) But it was the gift that was wrapped in sandpaper, right? It was hard (laughs) and challenging, but it really taught me how to build business. I literally would go to the library, had no money, go to the library, find a book. My books were my first coaches. Then I would go to the used bookstore, find that same book and buy it for 25 cents. So I would go find the best business books and then go find them cheaper because that was my budget. That's what I had. Like as entrepreneurs, are you that hungry? Right. Are you that scrappy? Right. I'm scrappy. I've always been scrappy. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 11 years old. I grew up with nine brothers and sisters, Bobby, Ronnie, Stevie, Terry, Joni, Shelley, Susie, Kelly, Debbie. And my dad's was like, there is no money here. You get no allowance. You want money. Go work for it. Go do yard work. Go clean houses. Go wash windows. Go ask the neighbors if you want them to do stuff. I sold everything imaginable (laughs) because I liked money. And I learned early on the power of barter. So with nine kids, we would make cookies maybe once a quarter. So I don't like sweets. And I think it's because I trained myself not to like sweets. I don't think it was truly I didn't like sweets. But what I realized, Mark, is that one cookie could represent chores. So my brothers and sisters would eat all their cookies and I would have my bag of cookies. And so my brothers would like, I want a cookie. I'm like, do you now? You want to do the dishes? Because I'll give you a cookie for the dishes. Now think about 11 people in the household. That's like Thanksgiving dinner every single night. We didn't have a dishwasher, like an automatic dishwasher. We were the dishwasher. So I learned, oh, I get one cookie and they would do the dishes for me that night. So we'd have seven or eight cookies. That would be seven or eight nights that I didn't have to do dishes, right, or fold laundry. So I'm like, this is a powerful tool. And so for Halloween, I would have my Halloween candy. They'd eat all their candy and then I would have candy and then I would barter again. Easter, I'd have my (laughs) Easter candy. I would barter again going, this is genius. I think back, that was the early days of being an entrepreneur, right? And figuring out that entrepreneurial hustle. And that's kind of where where I originally, originally got my start. So it sounds like you're kind of wired that way. You make me think of the musical Hamilton, you were young, scrappy and hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Very. (laughs) So, you know, you've, you've built a lot of businesses. There are a lot of ups and entrepreneurship can be a roller coaster where there are some downs. And, you know, I appreciate that you and others are willing to come on this podcast and share those stories and, and talk about the learning and the recovery and the growth. And so that's, that's what we're um, always excited to hear about here. Um, so Susie, thinking back at all the different things that you've done, is, is there something that you would look back and say, well, okay, that, that was a favorite mistake? Well, I don't know if they're favorites. Never, They're never favorites, but I, I will say I've learned a lot. But first, to really talk about the mistake, you've got to see how high the journey was, 
right? So in 2005, we sold our training and development company. We weren't looking for an exit strategy. We were looking for a partnership. So we sold it to the largest publishing company in the world. They're a $400 billion organization. And they bought our company for $10 million. We got half the money up front, half the money on the back end. So at that point, we're like, this is awesome. Well, inside that journey, they had sold the company to another company unbeknownst to us. And so that company, instead of their motto being cradle to grave, it was profit, profit, profit. And so as a training and development company, you're, you're training people to be consultants. You're training people to be trainers. It, it's a long learning curve. And so they started firing people. And as they were firing people, I'm going, you can't fire them. They're right on the precipice of a success. No, there is a formula for this. And they're like, oh, Susie, it's not your concern anymore. You don't own the company. And so we came to the meeting and said, listen, we can't, we can't do this anymore. You're sabotaging the company. You're bankrupting the company. And they're like, you're not going to leave. You get half of your money on the back end plus, right? So it was plus plus. We could have made more. That was like the negotiation point. There's, you know, you're going to be tied to the, the revenue. I'm like, you're, you're bankrupting the company. There is no plus, plus, plus. So we walked away. And at that time, it felt good to walk away. We had money in the bank. We're like, we had real estate holdings, right? We had we had diversified. We did all the things the expert told us to do. Well, 2007 hit. And I don't know if you remember 2007, but 2007, I felt like somebody had pulled the rug out from under my feet. So what took us 20 years to build was destroyed overnight. I lost 90% of my assets in the market crash. And not only 90% of my assets, Mark, I lost my marriage of 17 years. My ride or die, my, my man who said, I will never leave you. The, my man who said that I'm, I'm here, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of the family. Like, I love you. The stress was too much, right? If you look at the number one cause of divorce is finance, finances, right? Which we were no different. We were in this bubble. He felt like a failure because he's the one that negotiated the deal and said, this will help us. We'll grow. Well, we didn't. And I remember being on the floor crying and not from a place of a pity party, but I really felt like I did everything right. I was a good steward. I I really did what the experts said. I leveraged. I had multiple strings of income. We risked. We did a lot of things. And at that time, I think I was 43. And I remember thinking, I don't have 20 years and I don't have the energy to redo this again. Like it, it's, you know, it's hard work building an organization. And so as I'm laying there, I'm literally in a ball on the floor. I, I think it's important to know that there are hard days. And as, as much as you learn inside of them, they're never fun to go through them. And I thought, who, who's going to listen to me now? right? I'm supposed to be this money lady. I'm this profit coach. I help businesses make money, leverage money, grow money. And here I am with 90% of my wealth gone. And so I heard this voice in my head and the voice said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Trust in me. Get up. This will be your biggest victory and your biggest lesson you need to share. Okay. I'm not sharing this. No, I'm not sharing it. Right. But I had two clients. I had Lisa Nichols, who's one of the top motivational speakers in the world, the top secret speaker in the world. And John Asaroff, who's one of the most respected brain specialists on how we use our brain. And so I did a turnaround situation in John's business. I built Lisa's company to $10 million. 
Because what I do know is I knew the system of money. It didn't take me 20 years to rebuild my wealth because I already knew it. When I started, I didn't know anything. My formal education, although I do have my PhD, which is my public high school diploma, (laughs) (laughs) that was my formal education. Everything else was books. Everything else was, you know, going to a class, listening to back then we didn't have podcasts, right? Listening to trainings, right? Getting it on CDs or tapes, right? My my car was my university. So I had all this education that I didn't have when I started. So I was, it was, I was able to rebuild and rebuild my wealth quickly. And the first thing I did was invest in real estate, even though I lost my hiney in real estate, right? I've also made millions in real estate. So it, it was like, well, I know this works. I was just too leveraged. So it taught me not to not over leverage. It taught me my risk level. It taught me how do I leverage what I'm doing? How do I monetize what I'm doing? And was able to turn their businesses around very quickly because I know what I know. And then, you know, help my clients, you know, raise millions, build millions, because it is strategy. Business is strategy. We make it way too hard. Right. Fifteen percent of our financial success is our technical ability. So as an entrepreneur, it's whatever your vocation is. That's only 15 percent of your success. Now, you have to be amazing at your 15 percent. It's got to be good. You've got to be the best. But I can make a bigger difference in your sales, your marketing, your operations and your finance. So I want you to look at, ah, let's focus over there. Right. Don't we go to what we're naturally good at, which is our our vocation. No, no, no. Let's look at what you're not good at and let's start working at that, which normally the number one is finances. They don't, most entrepreneurs want to put their head in the sand. They don't want to look at it. They're like, I don't like math. I'm not good at math. You got to lose that conversation. I didn't like math either. In 10th grade, Mr. Syverson said, you need to go find another, whatever you do in life, do not do anything with math. And I'm like, first of all, this is algebra. This is not math. And they're putting the alphabet (laughs) in math. So that makes no sense to me. (laughs) Right. So, you know, don't let anybody tell you what you're good or not good at. You decide for yourself. I decided at a need and necessity, right? In both situations, when I was married, young, early, you know, my picker was off in finding a husband and found myself as a single mom with two little girls and had to create my financial well-being, right? So when you look at it, I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a back door. I didn't have someone saving me. Right. To go here, let me here do this hobby. This isn't a hobby. This is my vocation. Right. Let's treat our businesses as a vocation. Right. I'm paid for the amount of work that I do or don't do. Right. But the results that I get in my my life, my world, my business is what I do. Juicy. Juicy. Juicy stories. (laughs) Juicy. Juicy. That's one of my words. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's interesting. So you, you, you talk, Susie, about going back to real estate investing, I mean, uh, I think you alluded to this, a lot of people would be scared off and say, well, I was burned by that. But you learned, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the financial crisis, the real estate crash, that wasn't your mistake. I mean, you, you pointed to, okay, being over leveraged. Um, it seems like it would have been a mistake to completely stay away from something that you knew, you learned from that over leveraged, you've, you've prevented, you've avoided repeating that. Yeah, exactly. I've made millions in it before, during, and after, right? Made millions, lost millions, made millions again, right? So it's it's all about strategy and technique and to go, oh, what did I learn? I think when, you know, when I was on the floor bawling and praying, I was like, what is my lesson? What is the lesson here? There has to be a lesson. You don't go through this without a lesson. I think if I just stayed in victim and martyrism, I would have not, I would have not risen, right? But I really 
I, I didn't like when God told me to share my lesson. <laughs> that was a little hum- more humbling. But yeah. I realized that when you share the bloody knees, the bloody elbows, that's where entrepreneurs get there. I, I just got chills, right? That's where we get our like, oh, if she can mm-hmm. do it, I can do it. Versus me just teaching on the mountaintop. Yes, I've done amazing things. But let me tell you what I've done wrong. Because those are some... Those are even better than the highs, right, is the stupidity. Even in selling my company, that one little clause that they didn't share with us who they sold the company to before they did it. Now, was that my fault? Yes, it was my fault, but it was also my my advisory team. And we didn't look at it. We had some of the top attorneys in the world working on our, our deal. And to not know that in the middle of them buying us that would have changed the deal because their their philosophy was completely different than ours. We loved the company that the original company that purchased us. They had our values were the same, our mission was the same, and then all of a sudden that immediately changed overnight. Okay, well that was a lesson. So now when I'm talking to my clients and they're like, "We're we, we want to sell," it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hold up! Let's look at all this. Let's look at everything. Let's look at the back end, the front end, and if you want to leave, what's the exit strategy?" Right? I literally walked away from millions from my exit strategy because it was all tied to the back end. Well, that seemed like a good deal when we were courting and we were like, "Do you do you like me? Do you not?" But the reality is, we didn't have the what if scenario. What if you do shenanigans? What if you know, and you, you know, business is business, is business, their goal is to make more money, right? As everybody else. But I learned a lot from that, right? That was a crappy learning lesson, too. But I learned. It sounds like one of the lessons there is be careful who you sell to, like on the front end of starting a company, taking investment, there's an expression or people talk about good money and bad money, right? And some, you know, at some standpoint, money is money, but good money is an investor who is aligned with you, who can make connections and open doors, as opposed to somebody who is just writing a check. And then let's say, it's just going to be a pain. Right. My advisors, which was amazing, I had a really good advisory team. They said to me, Susie, you have to be happy with the money they give you up front. Because nine times out of 10, these things don't work out. Now, I didn't think that because I really felt like I did it. We did a good job picking and we did the, the parent company we did, but they sold that company in the middle of the deal. So now all of a sudden I'm not dealing with that company. I'm dealing with this other company. Then our values were not the same. So we, we were okay with the money up front to go. That's why it was easy to walk away. It's because we said, if this is all we get, we're happy. Right. What sucked (laughs) was the shenanigans that was going on in the marketplace that none of us knew about that. We all heard years later about all the financial corruptness that was happening that affected us, the small business owner, right? whatever middle class is, right? People are, you're not middle class. I I got my ass handed to me. I was middle class, right? I was not protected the way some people were protected, you know, from not knowing, right? And I think that's the power in sharing these kind of stories to go, oh, okay. Because I was feeling like, I really was feeling stupid. Like I should have known better. And it wasn't until probably 10 years later when we start uncovering all the shenanigans and all the financial corruption that you saw was part of the cause. Part of my cause was over leveraged. I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody else. I take full responsibility for that, right? And go, okay, I would have done it differently. Now I do it differently, right? If I, I pay cash for every property that I own, right? Because it's going to fund itself. I'm not going to be in that situation. If the market crashes again, okay, I can write it. Where before we were really over leveraged. 
So I want to hear a little bit, Susie, um, like even going back to the first business you started, you know, you were a hairdresser. Was that business a direct extension of, of that domain that you were working in and, and you knew? How did, how did that first business get, get going? <laughs> on accident. <laughs> <laughs> a happy Isn't accident. All entrepreneurs start, we start on accidents. So. <laughs> well, as a hairdresser, you know, you're all independent contractors. Most people are independent contractors in that industry, especially in California. And so as a hairdresser, I was doing a quarter of a million dollars a year, working three and a half days a week. And then I worked for Paul Mitchell the other three days a week. And so when Paul Mitchell, we start talking about my revenues and what I was doing, they're like, oh, my God, how are you doing that? Again, the average hairdresser was making $30,000 a year. The average salon was doing $100,000 a year. And I'm a solo technician doing a quarter of a million dollars a year. And so they said, can you teach our salons and spas this? I'm like, sure. Now, I didn't know how to speak. (laughs) I didn't have business strategy. I was just coming to share the good news. Like, let me show you what I'm doing. Because if I can do it, you can do it, right? I'm really a servant heart. And so I didn't have business strategy. I didn't have like, here's what you're going to buy. I had none of that. I just went, let me help you, Mark. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what you can do from a place of contributing. And then clients said, Susie, I love what you do. Do you have a book? No, I don't have a book. I'm a hairdresser. I'm just they just wanted me to share some sharing. I don't know. If you wrote a book, we would buy the book. I'm like, I'm a hairdresser. I'm not writing a book. I don't know how to write a book. They're like, no, no, no. So I, you know, when the universe, right, comes knocking, you got to do it. So I wrote a book. Then they were like, oh my God, Susie, I love the book. Hate to read. Do you have it on audio? I'm like, oh, I just made, I just did this book. Do you know how hard that was? So then we went in the studio, did the audio. And then as we were teaching, they're like, do you have that? Can I buy that from you? I'm like, you want to buy my system? They're like, yeah, we'll buy that. So I just started selling stuff, right? (laughs) We listen to the market. The market will tell you what you need. So we built a multi-million dollar training and development company truly on accident, right? And then I'm like, I got to figure out how to make money at this, (laughs) right? And that's the company we sold to this, the largest publishing company, because by then we became really good students in business and went, okay, let me monetize this. Let me leverage this. Let me build this. Let me scale this. Right. And we started the largest technology company in that industry as well. Mm. So we saw a need where people needed what we had. So we started one of the first membership sites. We have the largest membership site in the beauty industry and actually in the membership industry as a whole. Way before this was in 2000. Think about it. 1999, 2000, when we launched this business, built this business. There was no Google. (laughs) We didn't have Google back then, right? So when you look at it, I'm like, wow, we were such early adopters. But again, it was find the need, fill the need, find the need, fill the need, find the need, fill the need. And so then when we sold that company, then I took over Lisa Nichols' company and ran that company for 10 years and built it to a $10 million company. And then launched this business a couple of years ago. Um, In 2019, launched this brand and published the new book, Power Your Profits, which is all about building a sustainable business that you can sell. Every day you build your business, you want to build it as if you're going to sell it. You don't have to sell it, but I want you to build it as if you're going to sell it. Because that allows you to detach a little bit versus being so attached to go, what systems do I need to put in place? What strategy do I need to put in place? So I really give you my roadmap of everything I did to build the ton companies that I built right, to build multi-million dollar companies for my colleagues and my clients to help them leverage, scale, grow, and then sell their business. 
So I'll walk you through what do you need to do and how do you need to do that? And and part of that is maybe what not to do. And one thing you write about, we've talked about roller coasters of entrepreneurship. Can what you use a phrase, the cash? Ugh, let's see, I made a mistake in trying to say it. The cash crisis roller coaster. <laughs> what what is that? How do people get into that? How do they stop the roller coaster and, and get more stable? Well, cash is an illusion, right? Because there's always cash flow, but cash flow does not necessarily mean you're profitable, right? So I have a client that when I first met her, she was not paying herself very much. And we finally got her to a place where we built the business to millions. And she was personally making about a half a million dollars a year. That was her income. Well, she was spending $550,000 a year. That's the roller coaster, not managing your budget, not looking at what's coming in, what's going out. So only 1.7% of small businesses, Mark, hit hit that million dollar. Only 1.7% of businesses. To me, that's a tragedy. 88% of small businesses are doing less than 100 grand a year. We can go get jobs and make more than that, right? When you look at that to go, wait, business is supposed to provide us a lifestyle that a job cannot. And it all starts with managing the cash. So in chapter eight, it's called Math is Money, Money is Fun. Nobody likes to do the math, but we all like the freedom money gives us. So when I look at that, I want to I want to make it fun because I always tell my clients, this can be fun. Let's make a game. I made it a game. My game was survival in the beginning. <laughs> like, okay, the game is I got to feed the kids today, right? The game is I got to pay my rent today. The game is I got to pay my water bill today. The game is. So from early on, I was playing a game with how do I make $200,000, $500,000 to live, and then as I got my survival handle, right, when you remember in school, you had the high, Maslow's hierarchy of needs at first level is food, shelter, clothing. Once you get through food, shelter, and clothing, you can breathe, right? You're out of survival and you're like, okay, now, right? I want, now I want security. I'm out of survival. Now I want security. And so then went, okay, this game thing works. And I started teaching, I created a whole system around, we call it the booking game. Look at your books, look at what you're doing and let's play double the day. Right. Because it worked for me in my business and it worked for me in my entrepreneurial spirit versus going, I have to make the minute you start hanging on to money, the minute you start squeezing it, that prosperity goes away. You can't hold struggle and prosperity at the same time. Right. So you've got to figure out for you and your entrepreneurial spirit, what is your language? Most of us have a limiting belief around money that we inherited from our mothers, our fathers, our grandparents, even culturally, even men, women. Right. We have inherited beliefs. You as a man, Mark, you're supposed to provide for us and be the man and do the things. And it's like it's so unequal to go, well, what if I'm really good at that? And you're not. What if you're good? What if I'm good at building stuff and you're good at cooking? Does that mean you can't cook? Right. But we have these old beliefs. Right. And a lot of beliefs are, you know, money's hard. Rich people are mean. Money doesn't grow on trees. Right. Whatever that was when you were growing up. That's a younger conversation. Well, let's upgrade that conversation. I believe that wealth is our birthright. It's not for some of us. It's for all of us. We all have the ability. We live in a country where we can create our own financial well-being. Mm -hmm. Blessings, right? right? And we're still there. Blessings, right? To go, well, if it's our birthright, it wasn't deemed to us. Birthright doesn't mean easy or handed to you. No, it just means we get to, we get to choose. Now, I we grew up poor. There were nine of us, right? Nine of us, Bobby, Ronnie, Stevie, Terry, Joni, Shelley, Susie, Kelly, Debbie, 
right? Nine of us in 1,200 square feet, six girls, one bathroom. I don't know how we did it, right? But we did it. And the reality is I should not be where I'm at based on my upbringing. But I decided something different. I decided that I wanted something different and I was willing to work hard for that from a very young age to go, well, what do I need? How do I get this? How do I do this? Which has always been entrepreneurship. And so when you look at that, where else in the world can you go to go, I'm just going to make it up, right? I used to tell my team that, y'all, I'm making this up. And they're like, you're making it up. And as my team got bigger, I realized I couldn't (laughs) say that. I had to find other entrepreneurs that got what I was saying going, Mark, I'm making this up. And you're like, me too. Okay, good. But your team that's getting a paycheck, they're like, what do you mean you're making it up? You don't know what you're doing? No, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making it up. There's a mistake there. Don't admit that to your team that you're making it up. So do not admit that. That was a that was a hard <laughs> lesson that day. <laughs> um, and and so I mean, not having a college degree, I mean that that hasn't held you back at all. And 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 some some people would say, maybe you know it's self defeating. Um, I, I can't do such and such because of what I'm missing. You you figured out a way. I mean that's really impressive and. I think, inspiring. Well, I felt like an imposter for years, right? Because I'm like, well, they're going to find out. I don't know. They're going to find out I don't have that piece of paper. And then I realized the truth set me free. What I did have was a credibility. What I did was for myself as an entrepreneur doing a quarter of a million dollars a year. That was credibility number one. Then we built a million dollar business in the salon and spa. So our salon, we bought a salon and took it from a, a negative Uh, opportunity. We bought it for 30,000 and built it to a million dollar company. Then we launched the training and development company, built that to a multi-million dollar company. Then we launched the technology company, built that to a multi-million dollar company. Then we had a real estate firm and investing firm and built that to a multi-million dollar company. So we just kept building these credibilities, which is much more valuable than a piece of paper. I have a lot of colleagues that have lots of piece of papers that aren't doing anything with that. And so I think for me, I had to work on my self-esteem. I had to work on my self-worth. I had to work on that limiting mindset that I had, that poor little girl, like you'll never have anything, you'll you'll never be anything. And to go, oh, wait, I can be whoever I choose, right? I had to learn that. I had to work on that. I've spent years, right, in personal development, aka therapy, right? <laughs> right. And there's no shame there. And, and- there's, there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's no shame in, uh, in therapy. You're right. No, it's awesome. I am who I am because I invest in my education. You know, Benjamin Franklin says, take the coins from your purse, invest them in your mind, and your mind will fill your purse overflowing. So I have coaches in every area of my life, right? I have a personal development coach, aka therapist, right? I have a mindset coach. I have three financial coaches. I've got a fitness coach. Right. So when I look at my life, my life works. I've got two business coaches. So I look at what do I need right now and what's the resource I need right now? I'm not hiring them all at the same time. I'm not that cuckoo. Right. I'm looking at what do I need right now? Like this season, this year, what do I need for my technology company? We won the top technology company of the year from Microsoft. So I don't know anything about technology. I had coaches that supported me and we raised one point two million dollars for that company. I didn't know how to raise money. I found a coach that helped me learn about the SEC, helped me do it legally, helped me put my plan together, helped me talk to investors, helped me do it legally and ethically, helped me put together our shares and how many shares do we sell, right? That all came from me investing in my education because that's what I needed at the time, 
right? So I want you to look at what's that thing you need that's next. So we need to invest in what's the skill set that I need right now. Like I'm in three different masterminds right now, right? For three different areas of my business. Because even though I've been doing business for a long time, there's different modalities. I want to look at what's, what's my blind spot. So I'm hiring other experts that I'm working with to help me in my business, right? So I think a lot of times we think once we're an entrepreneur, we're done. And as a leader, I used to think that I had to have all the answers. No, I'm a really great coach because I'm a really good student. And I'm willing to sit at the feet of people that have produced the result. Here's what I don't do anymore. I don't believe people's hype. Like if you say you're an expert in this, show me the results. Show me your case studies. Let me talk to some clients. Do your due diligence. Even if you want to work with me, do your due diligence. Get my book, read the book, right? Get Go into one of our programs, read the program before you jump in. Right. People are like, wow, you're pretty expensive. Well, you're paying for my expertise. You're not paying for my time. Right. You're paying for you're paying for that that market loss where I lost millions, 90 percent. But I rebuilt (laughs) that millions. You're paying for that. Right. There was this um, article about Picasso and this lady came up to him in a square and said, will you paint me this picture? So he paints this picture. It takes five minutes. And he goes, here you go. That'll be thirty thousand dollars. She goes, thirty thousand dollars. It took you five minutes. He said, ah, didn't take me five minutes. It took me 30 years to learn how to do it in five minutes, right? That's powerful, right? Do you mo- I don't care if I invest a hundred grand, if I'm going to make a million, but I have to know that that source is credible, that they have predictable results, that they're producing that. So make sure whoever you hire, you do your d- due diligence so that you can make sure you can get that ROI that you're investing. Yeah. And, and there's a good reminder there that whether it's a price we pay or a price we charge, try to have that based on value, not time. Exactly. That's part of how you get from, as you were saying earlier, from having a job that provides a paycheck to building a business that can create wealth. Yes, exactly. And I love that it's you're going to pay for it one way or another. You're going to pay for it in time yourself, right? Yeah. Just you know, in the learning curve or hire the experts that can help you. I'm going to shave 10 years off your learning curve. Whether you get the book, you read the book, you implement it from the book, whether you come to a course, whether you come to an event, whatever that is, right? You're going to shave 10 years off your learning curve because I'm just going to show you how to do it step by step by step by step. What I do know is entrepreneurship is a system, right? It's strategy, right? It can't just be a good idea. Can't just be your talent. It has to be strategy. So there are uh, so many ways that you can, the audience can go and learn from Susie. Again, the book is Power Your Profits, How to Take Your Business from 10,000 to 10 million. You can get that now. Um, Her website is, one of them is susiecarter.com. And I'm sure this is a mistake that happens a lot. It's spelled... uh, C-A-R-D-E-R. In my mid in my Midwesterny roots accent, Carter and Carter yes. spelled with a T and a D sound exactly the same. But um, there is a link in the show notes so that you find Susie at the right place. And then one other thing we'll talk about here. Uh, well, so the book's website is poweryourprofitsbook.com. And when it comes to programs and other ways to learn, um, Susie has a program called It's Your Bullet Train. To big profits program. A bullet train is more powerful than a roller coaster, right? Tell us about that program. Yeah. So we took the book because what I know from my early days when they said, write a book, write a book. Oh, I don't like to read. 
is we created a companion course called Bullet Train to Big Profits because we walk you through the book and I walk you through visually with the book, with exercises, everything that's in the book, but I bring it to life on video. So it's a very powerful way to, for those of you that are visual, those of you that want to be guided through there, come to that. We've got many ways that you can play. And I love that you, you know, declared Carter because it is C-A-R-D as in dollar or dinero, E-R. <laughs> <laughs> you tell people, lots of people have made that mistake. So thank you for saying that. <laughs> I've, I've also got a six letter name, that's not that long, but it is a struggle for people to spell and or uh, pronounce. So I have a sensitivity uh, to that as well. So Susie, you've brought so much to life here um, in the podcast, whether people are just listening or watching. So that's that's evidence that the uh, the program and the course or an audiobook. Did you do it? You did an audiobook for Power Your Profits. Yep. So you can get that on uh, Amazon, right? It, Amazon Books a Million any of those websites as well. But I would love for you to come over. You can follow me on social media by my name again, Susie Carter, C-A-R-D, as in dinero, dollar E-R, right? Our website. I've got lots of resources for you. What I do know is I don't want you to feel like you're alone and that this journey, you need tribe, you need community, you need people that are like-minded. There's too many people that think you're a cuckoo because you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> and this is the funnest ride on the planet. Right. When you know, when you fall down, there's got to be someone to help you get back up so that you don't give up. Right. I think back if I would have given up on so many of those journeys, you know, there's successes right around the corner to go. When I got up off that floor, success was right around the corner. It came from helping other people. I didn't do it. You know, I didn't start another business. They're like, start another business. I'm like, hell no. <laughs> Let me help other people. Right. Yeah. And poured all that into my community, my tribe my clients. And, you know, we have story after story after story of making this complicated thing called business very systematic and fun, right? Math is money and money is fun. And I love the freedom money gives me and the lifestyle that it provides me. So we want to power your profit. Don't do it alone. Get some support. Get the help you need to have the business you love and dream of. Well, Susie, this has been both, you know, informative and inspiring. I'm so glad that you got up off the floor 14 years ago or 10 plus years ago and that, that you're, you're bringing so much to people here today. So we got a little bit of time with Susie. I'm sure a lot of the audience will reach out for more time. Like you said, whether that's a book, audiobook programs, um, well, people will come spend more time with you. So Susie, thank you for the time you spent with us here today. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for being a leader in our industry. Again, we need more people like you holding that flag to help us see our dreams and fulfill our dreams. Thanks again to Susie Carter for being a fantastic guest today. To learn more for links to her coaching, her book, her programs, and more, you can find all of that by going to markgraven.com slash mistake95. If you like the episode, if you find value in it, please share it in social media. Share it with a colleague that will really help get the word out about the podcast and our great guests. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me 
myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. 